0: Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, talking CDI. The Actus Podcast is a bi weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus National Conference. After a year in which we had to cancel our 2020 event, Actus is stepping forward to make ourselves in the CDI profession stronger than ever. We hope you can join us. October 25th through 28th in Dallas, Texas, for the return of our Actus National Conference. We've got a great program for you today, for you in October, excuse me, at the Sheridan Dallas, four concurrent tracks of education, some great keynote speakers. Um, we have had some comments from people who cannot attend the, the conference this year, and we completely understand it. We are offering a... Um, Value-added supplement, so we're we're doing a virtual conference, an online conference that will be available free to attendees of October, as well as for separate purchase if you can't make it to the conference this year. So stay tuned for more news on that, but we do hope you can join us in Dallas. Uh, One of the sessions that we're going to be offering is um, today's speaker, whom I'll introduce to you in, in just a moment. So again, my name is Brian Murphy, director of ACTIS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Community Acquired Pneumonia Clinical Coding Update. I'm joined by my co-host at left, who probably needs no introduction, but I'll give her one anyway, Sharm uh, Brody. Sharm's an instructor for the CDI Boot Camps and a subject matter for, uh, expert for us here at ACTIS. She has more than 35 years of experience in the healthcare industry and in consulting, CDI program implementation. She's now a very valued and dear member of our Actus team working on our certification programs, the regulatory committee on and on. I want to welcome her back to the show. So welcome, Sharm.
1: Thank you, Brian. I've done nothing but giggle this morning with you and Dr. Hyde, so this I will know. be a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Well, our, our, our special guest today is, in fact, Dr. Hike. Um, he's uh, one of my favorite individuals in, in, uh, in, in our membership, goes back a long ways with us here. I'm going to try to give him justice to his uh, really an amazing bio here. But Dr. Hike has practiced medicine in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, since 1980. He's received board certification in internal pulmonary and critical care medicine. A number of past accomplishments including chief of internal medicine director of respiratory care services board of trustees as local hospital president of the okaloosa county medical society i want to hear some stories about that later um he's also got a tremendous what makes Dr. hike unique tremendous coding background he's he's been on aha's editorial advisory board uh an expert advisory panel of coding clinic for icd-9 cm um yes back when it was still nine he helped prepare yeah. the original CCS, CDIP exams. He's, he's helped with the, all the query briefs. In fact, um, as recently as 2019 and the 2019 Guidelines for Physician Office Query Practice. His, his job by day when he's not doing all that is serving as Director of DRG Review, a physician-directed hospital coding consultative service. I want to welcome him to the program, Dr. Heike. Um, thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey, well, Brian, thank you for having me back again, and it's an honor to be with you and Charm. I I, I know a lot about her as well, so I I appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'm going to go ahead, and uh, you should be seeing that pop up on your screen. Today we're asking, folks, what is your biggest obstacle to capturing gram-negative bacterial pneumonia? and your options are none. You capture this diagnosis well. Maybe it's a lack of specificity in the documentation. Uh, Is it a lack of clinical support, including maybe some risk factors like antibiotics, et cetera, that would help support that diagnosis? Maybe you're capturing it pretty well, but but your payers disagree, so payer denials, Uh, or other and if you checked other, you can send your response. Again, as I always do, I monitor those when they come in during the show, and I love to see what your other response is, and we'll try to work those into the conversation. So one last time, what is your biggest obstacle to capturing gram-negative bacterial pneumonia? Uh, Maybe you don't have one. Is it lack of diagnosis specificity? Is it lack of clinical support? Is it payer denials or other? Wait one second for these results to normalize, and then we will close out these this poll. I think we're got about seventy percent of our audience that have voted, so we'll go ahead and and we will close this out, and then we'll come back, as we always do, to the results in just a few minutes. All right, Dr. Hike, again, welcome to the show. Um. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, this is a preview of what we'll be you'll, you'll be presenting on this topic for a full hour at the 2021 Actus National Conference in Dallas. Um, we're going to just bring you some highlights today. This, again, this this is just a conversation. He'll have Dr. Hikes prepared some slides and a full hour uh, for the program in Dallas. Really excited to see how that pans out. Um, so we're going to be kind of just delving into the topic lightly today and, and and going to a few specifics. So I thought we could start maybe with just you setting the stage for our audience today with a, a bit of a clinical overview of pneumonia and gram-positive and gram-negative pneumonias. I think that'll be yeah,
2: helpful. Sure, that's a, Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a very good way to start out. You know, it's and it's a good question because we're, you know, we're always talking about gram-negative pneumonias, but we never talk about what a gram-positive pneumonia is. So uh, I'd like to address that. But before I do, let's just, just talk about what a pneumonia is. Uh, and, and again, I'll be brief. I'll be try to be brief. As you know, I'm pretty verbose. <laughs> um, but an, <laughs> a pneumonia, you know, basically um, you have two elements. You have signs and symptoms. It can be hypothermia or elevated temp. It can have chills, fever, um, uh, confusion, cough, sputum production—all those things are signs and symptoms of pneumonia. And typically, you'll have a pulmonary infiltrate, an acute pulmonary infiltrate, on chest X-ray or CT scan. So the problem with that is, oftentimes, it may not be uh, present on the initial chest X-ray, particularly if the patient is dehydrated or have severe leukopenia. Uh, you know, no, no pus, no water, no infiltrate. So sometimes we miss it on the initial chest X-ray, or the actual chest X-ray may be done from an AP direction, in other words, a frontal X-ray, not a lateral chest X-ray. So we can miss it that way. Or the, the pulmonary filter can be obscured by, say, interstitial lung disease, uh, which, is, which shows up as white on the chest X-ray, and pneumonia is white, so it's hard to see white on white. So unless you repeat a chest X-ray a few days later, then you may not see the initial, may not, may not show up initially. But based on the guidelines, in fact, the present guidelines we're going to discuss today, we don't routinely re- repeat a chest X-ray in the hospital as long as the patient is improving. So, so you can miss a a, a pulmonary, you can miss a pneumonia based on the clinical circumstances and the X-ray. Uh, there are some uh, findings and uh, subtle findings in older folks that we're going to talk about during our our discussion at the at the uh, at the conference, but we'll we'll leave that for now. As far as distinguishing between, you know, what is what is a gram positive and a gram negative pneumonia, we need to probably talk about what does gram mean? Gram, it's a gram stain basically. And it's just a stain we put on the sputum that helps us get a preliminary idea of the of the, what the bacteria may grow out to be on culture. So if it's gram positive it means that means the stain takes up the, the bacteria takes up the stain, then it looks blue or kind of purplish looking. Or if it's gram negative, meaning it doesn't pick up the stain, then it looks sort of red. So we look at the color and we look at the morphology. It knows, is it, is it cocci, means ball shape, or is it elongated like a rod? So if it's a gram positive bacteria, like say Streptococcus is a gram positive, strepto in Latin means in a chain, so, if you have a chain-like Gram-positive cocci, then that's typically Staphylococcus. Or, if we see uh, Gram-positive uh, cocci in a cluster, uh, uh, with, that's considered Staphylococcus. In Latin, it means uh, uh, grape-like or cluster-like. So, so we get an idea what those organisms are. Unfortunately, we never use the term. because we say. Typically, we don't use the term gram-positive because gram-positive bacteria are very heterogeneous. You know, they, they, they infect us in a different way. They uh, The pathogenesis is different. How we treat them is different. So there's no, quote, gram-positive bacteria. Unlike gram-negative bacteria, which are bacteria that are very homogeneous. They they infect us the same way. Their virulence is the same. We treat them the same. Um, so. Um, as an organism, like say Pseudomonas is a typical one, or E. coli, Klebsiella, Proteus, those are all gram negatives. They typically are colonizers of our posterior pharynx. If you're a healthy person and you're exposed to these gram negatives, say uh, in a place where you have received a lot of antibiotics, like in a nursing home, then it's not uncommon to be colonized with these organisms. Um, and they typically don't cause infection uh, unless our immune status is. Uh, is reduced so um as a brief overview of those organisms of those organism stains I, uh, we'll go into more detail with that during our discussion at the conference but I just wanted to kind of highlight it so good question brian
0: yeah no appreciate the, uh, the explanation for setting the stage here yeah it was
1: a good explanation i enjoyed that um dr okay. height what is new with the uh, community acquired pneumonia clinical guidelines that listeners may not know
2: about? Yeah, no, yeah, that that's, that gets to the heart of the question. Uh, as some people are probably aware, there, there was a uh, consensus uh, article put out and uh, by the American Thoracic, Thoracic Society, oh uh, gosh, now a couple of years ago now. Um, and the, the, the big impact, actually, it actually has two major impacts. The first, the term HCAP or hospital-acquired pneumonia is now RIP, you know, rest in peace. It's dead. So we're we're done with that that descriptor. Um, typically, we would mean healthcare-acquired pneumonia of patients who are like in nursing homes or uh, conjugate living facilities or uh, chemotherapy units or dialysis units those pneumonia patients were felt to represent gram-negative and staphylococcal pneumonias. So, um, but after many years, and I, and I have to kind of unlearn this, frankly, because I've always, I've always preached that. So, but after many years of treating these patients with aggressive antibiotics, I'm talking about gorillacillins and expensive psyllins, we, we realize that we weren't doing any good. Matter of fact, we weren't reducing hospitalizations, length of stays, death rates, anything. As a matter of fact, we were causing lots of harm. We were, people were getting uh, pseudomembranous colitis, uh, more resistant organisms. So now we realize unless there are certain risk factors present, we don't consider patients coming from healthcare uh, acquired pneumonias. That's not hospital acquired pneumonias, healthcare acquired pneumonias. We don't, we don't consider those patients of having a gram name or, or staphylococcal pneumonia unless certain risk factors are present and as a teaser to our to our conference, I'll go over all those risk factors with you um that will help elucidate uh, the the uh the, the topic that we're discussing good
1: okay oh, that is a teaser yep <laughs> that is a big
2: teaser
1: I'm not sure I like that
2: <laughs> there of it. I watch a lot of serial uh, television shows, so I get teasers all the time.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: We'll have so to... can I just... Oh, go ahead, Sharon. I'm
1: sorry, Brian. No. So uh, can I just clarify one thing really quick with you? So,
0: For sure.
1: So HCAP, we're no longer... Consi- and I don't know if I understood that correctly. We are no longer considering that um, to be part of the healthcare acquired.
2: Right. It's no longer considered an entity of itself. Oh, And okay. that doesn't Perfect. mean... The, we still look at hospital choir, which is different than healthcare choir. We, yeah. we look at hospital choir and we get ventilator associated pneumonias and aspiration pneumonias, but but the the settings that we just discussed, which which is killing me because again, this is, I've always preached this. You've from to it. Years. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I have to unlearn it, which is not easy for me to do. Once once I have a wrinkle in my brain, it's hard to get rid of them. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, just what we talked about, skilled nursing facilities, dialysis units, uh chemotherapy units, uh, those Those are not places where folks are colonized with them, names and staff unless they have significant risk factors.
1: Perfect, That's thank you
2: talk. sure, good question
0: yeah, great. I was hoping you could spend just a minute or two here, uh, Dr. Hike as well, talking about sort of why capturing these diagnoses is important obviously we 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 know for the clinical record critical to get those in there but anything you want to mention about DRG HCC impact um, associated quality impacts and um, well, sort of a spoiler alert for our n- news item coming up here about maybe some of the compliance risks that might surround this, this, uh, this, these diagnoses. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: that, that gets to the crux of the
2: whole argument. Cause, uh, obviously <laughs> people who do, uh, healthcare, I mean, uh, uh, health record reviews for DRG and HCCs. I mean, uh, that's why this topic is, topic is is important, um, uh, and uh, and because it's an important topic for the hospitals, and uh, it's an important topic for auditors. So, um, how how is this? Why is this such a big deal? That's a good question. Well, other than the medical impact that I that I talked about, it, it, most people would know. On this phone call, that community-acquired pneumonias, as a group, when when we say that term, physicians usually mean streptococcus, pneumococcus, uh, viral pneumonias, atypical organisms like mycoplasma, legionella, chlamydia, etc. I mean legionella, uh, chlamydia, um, mycoplasma. Those all those bugs uh, go to simple pneumonia DRG. So then that DRG has a lower weight, a lower expected death rate and hospitalization stay than, say, complex pneumonias, which typically have included bugs like gram-negative bacteria, staphylococcal, aspiration pneumonias, TB, fungus, those kind of things. And that, and those pay the hospital twice as much, length of stay, death rates by twice as much as simple pneumonia. So the, the big wrinkle now is that when certain risk factors are present, again, we'll talk about those risk factors during discussion, uh, those gram-negative bacteria and staphylococcal bacteria can be community-acquired. So that's, again, had uh, have to unwrinkle my brain here because uh, I, I, when I see that, when a doctor says community-acquired pneumonia, i automatically assume it's going to go to simple pneumonia, DRG. Um, so that has an impact, but also it has an And not just a DRG impact; it has an HCC impact because, as as you uh, as your audience probably knows, that the gram negative bacteria and Staph go to a higher weighted HCC than the bugs that make up the simple pneumonia DRG. So, so it's a complicated twofer there that um, the now we're having gram negatives and Staph moving into the community acquired pneumonia heading. Um, So, we got to our task now is uh cdi folks or or physician reviewers and for you, and physicians who take care of patients it's our task now is to uh enumerate the bacteria that specifically that cause the pneumonia rather than resorting to terms like community acquired pneumonia or healthcare community acquired pneumonia because those codes those conditions don't have codes actually uh so it go to pneumonia not specified which goes to simple pneumonia DRG, which puts you in a lower-weighted DRG. So it's important. I mean, it's always been important for us docs to tell you what we think the organism is, because our treatment is varies based on that. But but it's, but it's still even more important now that from a DRG and a HCC perspective, to be able to delineate those. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of rushed through that. It's
0: it No, absolutely. Hey, great. A lot here to cover, obviously, Doctor Hyken, and, uh, and it deserves a fuller session. But we're thank you for explaining all that. Absolutely.
2: Sure.
1: So we, we were talking prior to our coming on air about the actus conference in October, and that we were all looking forward to it. Um, you're, I'm going to attend your your session. You've put it out Thanks. there, and I'm picking up pieces. I want to know what all the risk factors are. <laughs> um, now. You've been around for a very long time, so let's hear why you are excited about going to the
2: conference right well thank you um and, and thanks for coming to my meeting i I plan to have new jokes so I mean uh, and, uh, all the old basic <laughs> the um, yeah you know, I'll tell you why I really like the meetings and And it's just not um, looking forward to playing piano with uh, you and Melissa and and Brian and trying to get Brian to sing this time. It's not that. It's not that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But but really, I I tell you, I I enjoy going to other folks' presentations because I do learn a lot from those presentations. So it's not just meeting everybody again, or the networking that goes with it. I really think, I'm not just saying this to be nice. I've I've been involved with you guys for 11 years now. I I really think your organization does more to educate CDI folks and and coding folks than any other organization out there. Uh, You all have been very avant-garde in the way you've you've grasped this uh, uh, opportunity to educate, and um, I I think it's something everyone should go to or at least get the notes to or something um, to stay to stay abreast. And I like the way you've gone like three or four different tracks now. So everybody can have an interest in different areas that uh, that appeal to them. So, yeah, I, it's a it's a great it's a great thing to do. Uh, I quit talking because I've taken up too much of your time.
0: <laughs> it was great, Dark Ike. And that that's a story for another day. The the day we found that grand piano. I think we're in Orlando. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, ba- yeah ba-
0: that was all. Dr. Ike, in addition to <laughs> clinical expertise and uh, practicing medicine and his coding background, uh, also was an accomplished piano player. And I'm, I'm not blowing smoke there. He's pretty good.
2: So hopefully- <laughs> I, I stop saying that. I just bang. I can't read music so I just bang. So the louder, louder I play, the better it gets. And the more you drink, the better it gets. So-
0: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we'll see what we can do next month.
2: I love rock and roll.
0: All right, let's take a look at our poll results here. Again, we did ask folks, um, what's your biggest obstacle to capturing gram-negative bacterial pneumonia? 68%, two-thirds indicated a lack of diagnosis specificity. Uh, 14% cite lack of clinical support, including those risk factors. Um, Next largest bucket, 9%. Capture this diagnosis well, but less than ten percent. So some significant struggle here. uh Four percent cite payer denials, and then five percent other. So I will take a look at the other responses. But while I'm doing that, Doctor Hike, do you have any thoughts on the results of this poll? Anything surprise you, or or not? Yeah, that's. I mean that that is they got the crux of it right. Lack of specificity,
2: and it's it's not just our fault as physicians. I mean, frankly we don't have great tools to diagnose the etiology of pneumonia. A sputum culture is the typical way. And if it's, and if the patient can actually produce a sputum, it's nice. But even when they do, frankly, it's been shown like, that was a study back in the 1950s, actually, actually, uh, almost before I was born, but in the 1950s, where this uh, physician, Dr. Barrett, she, um, she did a study where she looked at the needle aspirations of pneumonia. <laughs> they actually stuck a needle into the pneumonia and aspirated it. That was the gold standard of what the bacteria was. Hmm. Then they correlated with the sp- And the sputum result, 50% of the time, it was normal flora, you know, which was, I guess, a deadly organism. And uh, uh, 25% of the time, it grew out of pathogen, but it was the wrong pathogen. It wasn't the pathogen that caused the pneumonia. And only 25%, there was a great correlation. Now, sputum techniques have gotten better since the 1950s, so actually, sputums are better since then. But still, they're they're not they're not a they're not 100 percent, and so that's a that's the problem that plagues uh, coders. And a lot of physicians don't know the epidemiology uh, epidemiological setting that these bacteria occur in, so they don't they don't use those specific code diagnoses. They just will say community acquired or hospital acquired, etc. So, and true. there's no code for that. So that's a problem. So that's the real problem. Yeah. Yeah.
0: C- thank you for that. A couple other other responses here. Our providers never order sputum cultures. Frown face. Yeah. Um, provider refusal to diagnose. Lack of sputum culture makes physician hesitant. Um, so yeah. Yeah, just a few other insights there. Yeah. Challenging.
2: Well, sputum cultures are mandatory in patients who have severe pneumonias. Uh, but frankly, uh, there is some variation as to doing sputum cultures in people who don't have severe pneumonias Although I, I, I would think that when we hospitalize patients, we should probably do those, uh, along with blood cultures and people who have severe pneumonias so Right. It's, we don't have great tools. That's the problem.
0: Well, hopefully we'll pick up a few more things at your session in, in, uh, in Dallas. I, sure. think I think with that, I'll stop plugging the, the, the conference again and again here. People are probably getting a little tired of that. But- it's something we believe in. Okay, let's let's switch to our excuse me our in the news segment. This is a regular segment featuring the latest re- updates and news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Wanted to dis- discuss this article I saw in Healthcare Dive recently, titled "United Healthcare Loses Medicare Advantage Overpayment Suit." Um, we will of course include a link to this in the show notes from today's program. You can look that up. We also covered it recently in our CDI Strategies newsletter. But we were talking a bit about uh, HCC impacts today um, a little bit earlier. So from this article, the federal appeals court has ruled against United Healthcare, the biggest private payer in the U.S., of course. Um, it, this This appeals court reversed a 2018 decision that at the time had overturned Medicare's overpayment rule, which required insurers to refund reimbursement to CMS within 60 days if they learn a diagnosis lacks medical record support. So that was overturned. Um, United Healthcare lost this case. They had argued in court that that overpayment rule, this is a little bit technical, um, was subject to something called actuarial equivalence, which was a Medicare statute requiring CMS to adjust payments to Medicare Advantage plans based on risk factors so that they're equivalent for those in traditional Medicare. Um, but this judge said that that rule for actuarial, actuarial equivalence does not apply to this overpayment rule, and United Healthcare's argument was without legal basis. So the court remanded the case back to the district court to the judge in favor of CMS. There was no uh, comment on the decision by United Health or CMS, um, but this really does point to a need for making sure that these diagnoses for for HCC capture and, and all the other reasons we talked about today are, are supported in the record. It is a problem. The article goes on to point to, you know, some prior recent cases by the OIG about um, a significant number of these reported diagnoses in Medicare Advantage are unsupported, was an analysis here conducted by the HHS Office of Inspector Generals, the OIG, into Pacific Care of Texas scoring, for example, that found that 43 out of 100 beneficiaries lack documentation or therefore invalid, and they're they're, they're now putting it back on these payers to make sure that they do, in fact, um, refund reimbursement to 60 days if they find that these diagnoses don't have any support in the record. Um, always been you know relatively clear we need that on the on the inpatient side. On the Medicare side, excuse me, but now Medicare Advantage is being held up to some of the same level of, of, of scrutiny there. Um, interesting article. We will see if if um, you know some of these payers, including United Healthcare, uh, come back with any anything else in the future here, but this this court ruling I thought was worth sharing on today's program. It's curious, Dr. Hike, if you've seen this or have any thoughts on this article. Um, what your thoughts, just maybe in general, of, of compliance risks are on the outpatient side related to HCC capture? It's this is not s- still; it's a minority of CDI programs that are in this area. We've done some recent surveying that shows about 24% of our members, 25% are are reviewing outpatient records, looking at HCCs. Um, which I know can be captured on the inpatient setting as well. But um curious what your thoughts are on this news story.
2: Right. Well, you know, I, I read what you sent. I think it's, I think one word sums this up, karma. You know, I I think, <laughs> you know, med, Medicaid Advantage plans have been just raping hospitals using DRG, uh, using a clinical validation to substantiate DRGs. And um, Many times these clinical validation criteria they have, I think, are not always uh, based on uh, evidence-based medicine. Some some of the Medicaid Advantage plans do try really hard with that, but I think others don't. And so, you know, they have just been uh, taking money from hospitals left and right on the DRG side based on this. So I, I think karma has a way of catching up with you. But I, but I do think it's a problem on the outside, on the uh, outpatient. And I, I think... IT, along with all its data mining of old records and the problem list that are not necessarily substantiated or the cut and paste method, uh, functionality, all that stuff, I think, leads to increased reporting of non substantiated diagnoses that are not clinically significant. And when we say clinically significant, on the on the inpatient side, we mean meeting the general rule for reporting. But on the outpatient side, you have all these acronyms like MEAT, et cetera. Um, the bottom line is: Were they treated? Were they evaluated? Were they clinically? Uh, did they go to consultation? Did they have future plans? I mean, before you can report an isolated diagnosis, it has to meet those criteria. So um, I, I, I'm kind of glad to see the insurance companies got to be put on notice, uh, but because I think hospitals and and now outpatient programs have been doing that as well uh, prior to the. American Advantage Program, so I'm kind of glad to see it. All right, it was good for the
0: again, Right, <laughs> You made your feelings pretty clear there. So we'll we'll keep following wow. the story as it develops. Yeah. Um, wrapping up real quick here. Just wanted to wish everyone a early happy CDI week. So uh, we started a week of recognition for the for this great profession way back in 2011. We're happy to be celebrating our 11th year of CDI Week with you. Our theme this year is CDI Kitchen, Recipes for a Successful Program. Um, There's still time to get your gear, have some fun, raise the profile of the profession that we all love. So what I'm sharing here is just a link to our CDI Week page. We've got some activity suggestions up here, a recipe book chapter template. what we're going to be previewing and sending out early next week is our CDI week industry overview survey. This is our biggest survey of the year. We, we have about 35 or 38 questions touching all aspects of the profession. We're going to share you the data, the results of that survey, as well as some survey analysis. We're going to be doing a free webinar for folks next week, next Thursday. So uh, enjoy the week and have some fun and um, celebrate this great profession together. We we, uh, we hope you we take the time to do that.
1: Yes, happy CDI week, everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Actus podcast, Talking CDI. For those joining us live, we'll see you back here again. A little bit off schedule, but uh, three weeks from today on Wednesday, September 29th, we are going to uh, make sure we avoid CDI week. For our next show, chart review with the Actus Pocket Guide. So um, we will see you back there again. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We will share the links for today's episode as well. And as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, if you like today's topic in Dark to Hike, I know I did, shoot me an email at b.murphy@actus.org. All right, folks, we'll see you back here again in three weeks. Dr. Hike, thanks again, and uh, take care, everyone. Thank
2: you.